You're listening to the Your Queer Story podcast, the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism, led by your favorite hosts, Evan Jones and Paul Hobbs. Trigger warning. Our content covers centuries of LGBTQ plus stories, and occasionally we may use outdated language or cover topics that include violence, assault, homophobia, transphobia, as well as other injustices against marginalized communities. Make sure you subscribe and review wherever you are listening, and be sure to follow us on all social media at Your Queer Story. And if you want exclusive content, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. You're here, now let's get queer. Jones and I am a queer transgender man and a deep lover of history. Uh, I'll study the history of anything. You could put a book on the history of paint in front of me and I would read it. But it is especially fun when I can study about my own roots and our past and that's why I was excited whenever Paul invited me to do this with him. Um, I grew up in Indiana and actually we grew up about 10 minutes away from each other but we had very different life experiences. I grew up in a fundamental fundamentalist church that evolved into a cult and I was very sheltered my whole life so Paul had to explain a lot of things to me when I finally was able to leave at age 23. And I'm Paul Hobbs. I'm an openly gay man from Gary, Indiana. I love all things technology and video game related and I'm also a proud father of two cat babies. So dumb. (laughs) They're named Hera and Loki. LGBT history has always been an important subject to me because it has been censored from society. Uh, During school, I didn't learn a single piece of LGBT history. Um, And I think it's extremely important that the information continues to get spread so that there's multiple sources of information for people to learn from. Right. Right. Uh, it could have also been that you lived in Indiana. Maybe that's why yeah, you did Probably. I, I'm sure people out here or, you know, anywhere else I in hope the country. So. I hope so. Let us know what your um, history, when you uh, comment on our social media at the end of our podcast, let us know what, um, what you learned in school regarding LGBT history. It would be interesting to see what people learned in, around the country. Yeah. Were you taught anything or was every single person in history straight like we were taught? Exactly. Right. All right. Are we ready to do this? I think we're ready. Okay. All right. Welcome to episode one of Your Queer Story. This is the podcast for uh, the LGBTQ, for the LGBTQ. This is the podcast about LGBTQ history and how those events shape today's society. We are your hosts. I am Evan Jones and... I'm Paul Hobbs. Before we delve into our topic today, we'd like to take some time to explain our purpose behind this podcast and what we mean by the queer community. The queer community for us is anyone or any group that pushes social standards for gender and sexual norms. So of course this includes lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and non-binary folk. However, we will also cover extensive stories about polyamory, kink, and BDSM relationships. Though these characters Sexual identity may not be queer, their actions and lifestyles buck the system and are often intertwined with LGBTQ history and progress. All of these components are important in understanding where we came from as a society. Oh shit. 
you, you were doing so well. You were like really properly reading I this, and I was like, "Look so at him. Good. He is all right. doing great." All these, uh, all these <laughs> components are important in understanding where we came from, why society's prejudices are harmful, and often hypocritical. You know what? That's my is my shouldn't structure there. That you know, it makes it a little difficult. The point is that um, that this helps us understand where we came from and how prejudices are harmful and often hypocritical. Um, <laughs> Uh, so that is what our definition of the queer community. And as far as our purpose for this podcast, uh, we, one, we want to educate any and everyone we can about LGBTQ history. We believe that it's important to combat the narrative of some radical parties um, that state that the barriers being broken today regarding gender and sexuality are new or that the tolerance of them is new. And while we certainly have more information afforded to us today, the constructs of gender and sexuality have shifted and been challenged from culture to culture by one generation after another for as far back as history has been recorded and our community has never gone away each time we are forcibly silenced we rise again and we uh, take our place as equal humans so again we want to educate another reason another purpose is Uh, that we want to create awareness while things continue to get better for the lgbt communities in america and many other progressive countries the truth is that there are still there is still an immense amount of bigotry hatred and discrimination in these nations and in other parts of the world where our fellow queers and homos are even less fortunate there are vicious atrocities being committed each day we want to draw attention to these issues as well as create an understanding of where these problems started and how they can be stopped Yes. And finally, we want to act as a source of information for the community and provide resources for those that are in need and also resources for those that want to help other uh, LGBTQ members. So can we talk about how no matter what, every X amount of years, everybody's like, where did these gays come from? Yeah. Yeah, it's like we just keep getting more and more and we keep progressing and people are constantly looking around. Back in my day, they didn't have transgender people. And it doesn't matter how much information you put out there, how many movies you make, no matter what you do, no matter how many times you're like, we have always been here. There's still some guy that's like, I don't remember ever seeing a gay person. And of course, the fact that they that's because, you know, people were literally scared for their lives and hiding in the closet, you know. I really like that voice that you just did. Which one? The old man voice? I think you should do that for the entire rest of the The old man voice? It's the only one that I'm really good at because I've always been an old man at heart and I always will be. And whenever I get to about age 60, I am going to crush it. My 60s, my 70s, and the 80s. You've been like 60s prime for the last five years. I have been. I've been ready for it. I have been ready for it. I'm only 30 years away from it. And then, oh God, my 80s. Oh, I'm going to be the best old man there ever was. And I'm going to love my life. So You already have the phone case holster ready to go. Fuck off. I love the phone case holster, which I have not been using for a while because it's hard to, um, I get, keeps getting caught on stuff at work. And I don't like that. <laughs> the point of the phone holster is that it's supposed to be off the side so I can pull it, but my phone just keeps getting bigger and bigger because I have to have this massive otter box on it so that it doesn't break with the million times I I drop it. I refuse to have one of these phones that has a cracked screen and just keep sliding my hand over it like the screen isn't cracked, pretending like it's fine. Like, my, this is fine. My phone is, like, cracked all the way across the inside. Of <laughs> you know what? I feel like that's actually pretty good for you, though. Usually you're just cracked in the middle. Or am I thinking of someone else? 
I don't think I, I never had a cracked bone. All right. I've had a cracked everything else, but never a cracked never bone. A cracked bone. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so why did we start with this topic? Homosexuality in early European history. Male homosexuality in your mm. early European history, because we're going to just focus on the guys today. Really being that female history in that time kind of just got covered up. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. It got buried beneath like mounds and mounds of male history. Everything was all about men. There is definitely some good history. So we're covering, we're covering, uh, basically I'd say around like 1000 AD until about, I think we have about 1500 AD. And that's because it's a big chunk of history that there's not a lot of good, at least it's certainly not a lot of positive information about homosexuals. There's not a lot of real good information about homosexuality. And of course, in that time period, it looks a little different. Um, but on top of the fact that there's already such a limited amount, there's even less on like female, you know, lesbians and, you know, transgender individuals are all just kind of clumped together. And also, since it was so widely accepted for the most part, they didn't really see a reason to write it down. Right. Well, it wasn't seen as homosexuality. Right. Like, it, was it just, wasn't, you weren't gay. You just, you was like, men fucking You know men. what? I'm going to sleep with this guy. I'm not gay. I'm going home tomorrow if at the end of the day. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, there, and there certainly were people that were gay, which we'll talk about. But like, yeah, it wasn't, this wasn't, like, sex wasn't in the rigid box that it's in today. And it was very much, like... Uh, I have a, a quote in here, we'll probably get to, but it's basically talking about how, like, sexual expression had nothing to do with, um, it had nothing to do with, with romance, it had nothing to do with your, um, your, uh, I can't remember what I want to say, what I want to say. I have to find the quote. Basically, like, love and sex were pretty much separate. Yeah, love and sex were, were very separate. Like, people just, they had sex because sex is fun. And they didn't have, and again, they didn't have to follow any, like, pressures in society. And that doesn't start to change until we start to see a rise in the church. So, we'll get to that. But let's talk a little bit about, like, the Greeks. And, of course, if you ask, like, I feel like this is common knowledge, but people don't really know much about it. Like, if you ask people, um, where does homosexuality come from, home, like, uh, the LGBTQ community will always be like, it's always been around. We always know it's been around. Uh, look, Just look at the Greeks. And then you're like, well, what about the Greeks? And they're like, you know, look at the Greeks. So in in the in Greek uh, society, it was a common practice for grown men to be sexually active with adolescent boys who had entered puberty. Now, due to the diet and the male physiology of the time, men entered puberty later. This means that these boys were typically between the ages of fifteen to twenty-two, and they were always the um, the one that was penetrated or the bottom. It was seen as a shame if an older man was penetrated by a boy, and in fact, this is where we get the term pathetic. It was created as a derogatory term for grown men who like to bottom. So this was very much an age structure. It was like, it was ex almost expected for men. And, and when we say older men, these were actually men in like their mid to late 20s, early 30s. And a lot of stuff I read was like, oh, this 28 year old was like with this 20 year old. So it's not like. It's not, it's not like a 60 year old guy sleeping with a 15 year old kid. I mean, it was kind of like, it was like a coming of age type thing that you did. Right. And everybody did it. And it everybody wasn't did like, it. uh. And it wasn't to replace sex with women either because they had sex with women as well. They just also had sex with men. Right. Yeah. So, but it, but you had to follow the, the proper appropriate age. So basically, like a guy in his 20s, 
would sleep with guys in their late teens, early 20s. And then guys in the middle, they had the best of both worlds. Because if you were like between the ages of 19 and 22, you could sleep with guys younger than you. And you could be the top. And then you could sleep with guys older than you. And you could be the bottom. But you still had to follow the, the age structure. And then any guy, like once a guy started to get a beard, like that was the symbol. I think that's what yours. Yep. So yeah. in Greece, it was considered an honor or prestige for a young man to be desired by many men. Though boys were actually expected to be loyal to only one man. This man would become a guide and a mentor. And once the boy had matured enough to grow a beard, the sexual component of the relationship was supposed to end. These new men were now um, expected to marry a woman and to drop their passive ways or their effeminate ways. Those who continued to be passive, even if married, were despised by their peers. So, you grow a beard, you stop being the bottom, you can still have relations with younger guys, Mm -hmm. but you have to be the top. Right. And then at some point, you're expected to, like, once you get married. And so people in in those days, they didn't get married until their 30s, which is when you should get married. For all of you who are thinking of getting married young, don't do it. I know. (laughs) I've had experience. So, so people, they typically didn't get married until the thirties, but once a man got married, he was expected to kind of like leave that life behind. But until then, like, like it says, it was, you, you form this relationship. This wasn't just about sex for the Greeks. It wasn't, it was, it was about having a guide and a mentor in your life. Yeah. This um, man liked to carry you pretty ex- much. That's, exactly. That's and like he, the you know, whole... he taught you how to be a man. So, um, there were also laws in Greece that regulated these relationships, um, and we will see these in the Romans as well. If a free young Gratian sold himself, he could lose his citizenship for his immoral ways. So if like you couldn't just, if you were a free man, you had a higher status than of course a slave or a foreigner. And so if you sold yourself as a free man, then you could end up losing your citizenship. But of course, slaves and foreigners, they were property and they could be used however their master saw fit. Now, why would they sell themselves? Are you talking about, like, as if, a prostitute? Yeah, they sell themselves as a prostitute. Okay. So, like, you, if you were a prostitute, um, then that was considered a shame. But if a slave was a prostitute, that was that was okay. Or if a foreigner was a prostitute, that was okay. But free men could not sell themselves. And free men had to very much follow this strict age structure that was going on. Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, the Romans also had a similar structure, though they were more harsh with their laws. All free boys were forbidden from sexual relations and men who um, and men had to use foreign slaves or prostitutes for legal companionship. So just men, two free men could not be together for the Romans. It was strictly had to be between the master and his slave or someone else's slave or a foreigner. And the Romans also had two classifications for men who had indulged in these same-sex relationships but had not transitioned to the active role. So the Cenidae were men who eventually married women but were held in contempt for their continued passive demeanor. So they would get married and they would still continue to bottom. Right. Yeah, basically. Basically, I mean, it's like basically men who were gay. I mean, well, I mean, if you were a very, I don't know what. And then. You're gay. I'm 100% gay. (laughs) But like. What do you consider? I I think that obviously in this time there were definitely straight people. Well. <laughs> I guess there were a couple of them around here. I'm sure there. there were. I'm sure there were. And I mean, obviously, there were probably definitely also 100% gay people, but like, from what it seems like, there weren't. <laughs> I had to move my keys because the, the, the sweat from my coffee was running into them and it's going to make my car thing die. So, from what it seems like, is that sexuality was kind of extremely fluid. So, I don't think that. 
there were really classifications for people unless you were breaking like the structured laws and age regulations that they had. Yeah. Um, it just seems like you kind of slept with whoever you wanted to. and But you had to take on specific roles. You could, that's the thing. So if well, you yeah. really like to bottom you and you hit a certain age or you were a free man, you couldn't. Right. Which is, <laughs> I don't know. It's a whole big, I mean, it probably makes a lot more sense than it sounds, but. Well, I'm sure it made sense then. Right. Then everybody was like, well, of course, that's what we do. Exactly. And today, you know, we think about it. So that was the Sanadi. And we're um, we are not historians. And so if we pronounce things wrong, we do try our best to look it up. But we apologize. And then there was... So the Sanadi were those who got married and they're held in contempt because they continued to be passive. That's the word that comes up a lot. as That was used a lot. But it's basically effeminate. Then there was the Gali. And those, these were men who left their families and became members of a group or a, really a cult that worshipped a goddess or god. They actually worshipped the god Addis. And these men were very eccentric and often prostitutes. Some would even castrate themselves. Surprisingly, they were actually more respected than the Sanadi. And you had sent me something about that, about the Day of Blood. Yes, so... The galley actually castrated themselves during an ecstatic celebration called the Day of Blood, and it took place on the 24th of March. So that just passed. That was the anniversary. (laughs) Um, At the same time, they put on a woman's costume, mostly yellow in color, and a sort of turban, together with pendants and earrings. They also wear their hair long and bleached and wore heavy makeup. They wandered around with followers, begging for charity, in return for which they were prepared to tell fortunes. On the day of mourning for Addis, they ran around wildly and disheveled. Uh, They performed dances to the music of pipes and tambourines, and in an ecstasy, flogged themselves until they bled. While we're talking about queer history, I think it's a good point to bring up that perhaps these people may have identified as transgender. Um, Some certainly probably did. Yeah. Obviously, we can't say that, oh, if you're this person, you're definitely transgender. You know, transgender probably wasn't even a concept back then. Um, But, I I mean, I I let everybody draw their own conclusions and compare how they see fit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're dressing up in women's costume. They're wearing earrings and jewelry. Um, But also, this goes to gender roles because... I mean, the thing with Greece is they still had their strict gender roles, and um, which we'll talk about um, a little later. It mentions how uh, some men were forced to wear women's clothing, especially if they were the passive partner. Mm-hmm. And it, was, it might not be something that they wanted to do, but they were forced there by society. Society was kind of like, well, you want to be a woman, we'll like, make you look like a woman. And so, um, so some of these, so I'm sure that we are certain there were people that wanted to do this and they enjoyed doing this and other people felt that they had to, to go along with the, with the dressing up. Um, again, we can't tell, um, you that someone was transgender or not, but we definitely see that these group of uh, men were able to buck a very strong uh, gender roles, and they were very uh, able to buck like a lot of um, societal standards, I guess. You know, and they were respected for it too. That's the big. I think that's the big key takeaway yeah, here. They were respected as like a religious group. They weren't yeah. like shunned or you know pushed away from society. They were right. accepted as. I mean, people. <laughs> yeah, they were. Unlike the Sanadi, which is someone who did this and they weren't part of a religious group, they would have been an outcast. But these men were able to, you know, have the best of both worlds, the best as they could during that time period. Um, and um, let's see. While men were expected to get married and carry on their bloodline, sexual desires were seen as separate. 
Um, one's orientation played no part in whether he or she married and produced children. Um, what's important to realize is that both the Greeks and Romans law and religion allowed that men would naturally be attracted to both men and women. Yeah, that was something um, that I found that, yeah, people just kind of uh, assumed that everyone, I think it says down here, during this time, historians believed that all men had a conscious desire for other men. However, most also desired women. Having sex with another man, if done by society's permitted standards, as stated above, was not considered wrong and did not make a man a homosexual. So it was this very, very open, like we said, the sexual fluidity, because you, it was just expected. You would be attracted to both men and women, and that, but you were expected to get married. Carrying on the bloodline was the most important part, so it didn't matter. And that's, again, why the Sinati were so despised, because they resented getting married or they didn't want to get married at all. But I'm assuming that the getting married and carried on the bloodline thing is mostly just uh, to sustain the human race. I don't think that to they... To sustain your empire specifically. Right, yeah. I don't think that it was to, like, force people to do this. I think they just wanted to maintain power and keep the empire going, in all honesty. Exactly. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and uh, there's honor in in your um, ha- in carrying on your family lineage. I mean, there's so many things that, that come into play. So it was just expected. And we actually see this in a lot of other cultures during this time as well. Um, we see it in Turkey, Morocco, Iraq, Saudi Arabia. I don't know what that is. Oman. Oman. I don't, that was in my, my notes, Pakistan and Northern India. Um, and even though Muslim teachings stri- uh, strictly forbid homosexuality, adult men were held in honor if they penetrated a boy. And there was a, a, um, a study done in 1963 among a bu- um, several um, psychology classes in the Middle East of uh, a- Arab men, and 44% of the men in that class admitted to having had had a sexual relationship with another man. Um, according to these guidelines. And again, this doesn't mean that there was a romantic relationship, but 44% of men in 1963 admitted to that. So this is something that has continued through cultures and that started back then and has continued on through. I think it would be interesting to kind of do a research into like the 1950 to 2000 timeline in America history and look up similar 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 research topics and kind of see... The comparison, and um, I mean, everybody's not going to answer that honestly, but yeah, well, I mean, we're definitely going to do that because in the 1950s, like the 1950s to 1970s, you start as we start seeing um, uh, Kinsey starts doing his um, his studies on sex. Um, Of course, Freudianism is is really taking off, and we can we're definitely going to do some study on that as as people start actually asking these questions and doing. Uh, doing these studies. So like I said, this is 1963. There probably wasn't even a study like this done before, especially not in the Middle East. And as soon as they have one, we get a huge number. And so, um, so yeah, definitely between like the 1950s and 1970s, we're going to hit about um, some of the sex research that happened during that time. Um, so, so like what happens, right? <laughs> we, um, so what happens? Like, we're going along, everybody's just fucking everybody, and we're fine, and we're happy, and now today, it, it, you know, it's a big issue, or we see, especially in the 1800s, it drops off. Well, around 400 AD, Christianity began to grow in power and take hold of man's sexual desires. Purity and holiness began to be preached, and we hear those same themes today. 
This was in regards to all sexual promiscuity, though it is interesting that only the homosexuals suffered imprisonment, castration, and death if not if they did not repent. Can we talk about how bigoted this is? Because they're like, <laughs> you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't sleep with another man, you can't do this, you can't do this. But the only ones who are actually punished are the, the gays. Homosexuals. Or the well, homosexuals. I mean, people would stand trial. Like, if a man had um, sex with a woman outside of marriage, he would stand trial, but nothing happened. Yeah, they'd and, be like, and usually it didn't even go to trial. Don't do it again. Yeah, exactly. It was a slap on the wrist. And, of course, you know, they're half of them are doing stuff themselves. But, yeah, homo- the homosexuals um, were the ones that were started getting heavily um, persecuted. And it was just a way. So... In 1047, we see the first decrees passed against homosexuality by the church. Peter Damien was a contributor. He was a, um, he was a religious, he was a religious priest. He was a priest. <laughs> and he was a contributor to these church laws and wrote his own personal text specifically on the evils of homosexuality. Today, he is a canonized saint of the church. Of course he is. Of course he is. Does he have a candle? I don't. You know how they have those religious candles? Can Ooh, we we can get one. one. We, we should get one. We can burn it while we do every podcast. There we go. This is to you, Pete. Today, he's a candidate state. Some of his supporters do claim that Damien was protecting the youth from abusive Catholic clergy. It seems that this message was completely lost, and instead, innocent homosexuals have been targeted while the Vatican has turned its back on thousands upon thousands of real victims. I'm not better. Um, yeah, so, I mean, the argument that he's trying to... I'm getting too loud in the mic because this mic just picks everything no, up. you're getting too excited. I'm getting... Okay, well... <laughs> that's probably true. So, I'm going to tone it down. Because when I start getting going, especially when I start talking about religious oppression, I can't help it. I, like, get excited. Not excited for the people that are victims of religious oppression, but just excited because I, I have studied a lot on this topic. Yeah, it's interesting because if the argument was that... You know, Damien is protecting these people from the clergy. Great. You know, um, or he's protecting the young youth from Catholic clergy. That's great. But we see, we know history. We know that that's not what happened at all. Instead, homosexuals were just... Um, uh, Stoned, beaten, beaten killed, burned burn. alive, uh, put on the wheel, um, had stakes shoved up their... Their Crotchimus. <laughs> their Crotchimus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, that's the term they use, actually. <laughs> now run, shake up the crotchimus. It's in every history book. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> when I was in third grade, I remember my teacher coming out and talking about the stakes of the crotchimus. Um, <laughs> anyways, so, yeah, so, you know, for the, the, the youth were not protected and the homosexuals were targeted. Uh, in the 12th century, the philosopher Hildegard of Bengen, Mm-hmm. And so Hildegard, you know, she's just sounds like a real fun broad. Also a Catholic saint wrote, speaking for the Lord, a woman who takes up. <laughs> I wanted to do a female voice. Maybe you should do it. I can't do a female voice. Okay. A woman who takes up devilish ways. <laughs> I'm trying to do a serious bit here. And plays a male role in coupling with another woman is most vile in my sight. And so is she who subjects herself to such a one in this evil deed. See, I wrote there for you to actually you, say this. You know what that sounds like? Do you ever listen to those audiobooks for like a, ch- a child audiobook? Oh. And it's like they're reading like the story of like... I could be a children's novel reader and I'll go by the name Hildegard. Hildegard Montgomery. Future set. There you go. And I'll say, 
Dear children, once upon a time, a woman who took up the devilish ways and played the male role in coupling with another woman was most vile in my sight, and she who subjects herself to such a one in this evil deed. And that's our promotion. Good night, right there. That clip alone. So, but hey, she's talking about. So, uh, Hildegard was very much uh, against the lesbians. Well, she was against homosexuality in general, but she specifically calls out the other women who are taking up in these um, nefarious affairs. Um, Which I, I think it's interesting that there is somebody who is actually like bringing up the lesbians. Well, it's a just, woman. Yeah, but just because. Like, women are so often, like, overlooked. Mm -hmm. Like, for somebody to actually, I guess, like, take notice and actually, like, speak out against them is kind of interesting, I guess. Well, that's why I say, again, it's because she's a woman. Because all the men didn't believe that lesbians really existed. She got hit on by the wrong person at the bar. (laughs) Or she got turned down. She (laughs) got turned down. Hildegard definitely (laughs) got turned down. And she got turned down the moment she said, Hello, my name is Hildegard. (laughs) That's the girl was like, no, no, thank you, sweetie. I'm good. Um, in the 13th century, Thomas Aqu- uh, Aquinas, I don't, I'm butchering his last name. This guy is a big person in the 13th century. Um, anyways, Tom, good old Tom Aquinas, and we, I apologize. Aquinas? Aquinas? Aquinas. Mm-hmm. I should have looked that up. Anyways, who also was a Catholic saint. And the first dick to use the argument of natural law against homosexuals. And he stated, special sins are against nature. As, for instance, those that run counter to the intercourse of male and female natural to animals. And so peculiarly qualified (laughs) as unnatural vices. Why won't someone just suck my cock already? I don't think that was, I put that in there. I put that in there as I was talking, as I was typing. That's why he was so bitter. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's why it just spilled out of his mouth as he was saying that. And he was teaching. Um, so natural law is a very old concept used throughout the ages in reference to the use of reason to analyze human nature to deduce binding rules of moral behavior from nature's or God's creation of reality in mankind. So basically, natural law, it's still used by like far-right extremists today. I grew up in a really conservative household. We use natural law all the time to debate why homosexuality and uh, was wrong or transgender um, uh, transgender people were wrong I'm, I, I'm, I'm stuck saying transgenderism I don't know why I'm doing that um, I hate that term anyway so we use the, the concept of uh, natural law all the time so natural law is just it's an old thing that just says do you see it in nature and we see it in nature it doesn't it's not a concept that works anymore because we know that there's we- literally videos of like on YouTube of gay animals. Which you watch. I, I, no. <laughs> but you know they're there. They're there. They exist. No. But it's true. Like, it's just, look at nature and like the whole, if man were supposed to be with man, then why do men and women pro- pro- procreate and look at the animals and, and look at, look at our parts. They don't fit together like that. They fit together the other way. So that's, so this is where natural law started to become popular in the 13th century. So this is an old, old concept that's still being used and beat like a dead horse. Weren't people dying at like the age of 30 back then? They were. I don't think they knew enough about anything to, to, to be either. making like, I, rules. <laughs> Like, you can't even live to 32. I don't think you know what you're talking about. You know what? 32 was a a pretty good time. The guy that lived to 32, he got to make the rules for everybody else because they were dying at 25. And they're like, look at this guy. He's lived past 30. He must be, like, wise or something. Maybe that's why sexuality was so fluid because 
people are like, we don't have much time. <laughs> we literally, they're like, <laughs> we got to we gotta, we gotta get it going. Actually, by this time, people were living longer. I mean, that was more the Middle Ages. But yeah, I get what you're saying. <laughs> so let's go to something that's like a particular study in um, about Florence, Italy. Now, this is, I do want to point out, this is rampant all throughout Western Europe at this time. But Florence was a really, we have a lot of information from that time period. And there's, um, it's a really good example. So during this time, um, as the Catholic and Christian church continues to grow and gain power, some of the best documented cases of homosexuality occur in Florence, Italy during the 15th century. In the 1400s, 15,000 men in Florence were accused of sodomy and over 2,400 were convicted That's to one, prison. That's one city. That's a lot of people. <laughs> the historian Michael Rock estimated yeah. that at least two-thirds of all Florentine males were implicated in a homosexual affair by the age of 40. Okay, so they were making it to 40 at least. So that's good to know. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, this suggests that almost all males in Florence had engaged in same-sex activity at some point in their lives. Uh, of course, we can't. We have just demonstrated this experience in several societies, and this challenges the idea that homosexual activity has been limited to a minority of deviants throughout the centuries. So this basically this said because people. Um, so back to like the natural law. So like Thomas Aquinas. Aquinas, I'm, I'm, we're going to get like hate over we need his butchering his name. Well, he's not going to give it to us because we don't know how to say his last name. But good old Tom, he, um, back to his natural law, he kind, he kind of made the argument that only a few deviants were homosexuals. Like he was trying to preach and that's why, and all through society, right? Everyone's always been like, oh, um, you know, it's unnatural, right? Against the natural law. It's unnatural. But the, in Florence, we see in the 15th century that over two-thirds of the men have been convicted of homosexuality. Almost all men at this time have engaged in some kind of homosexual activity. So this is not some some subset of, of society that is engaging in these activities or he has these desires. This is rampant, and it is, you know... So how it can probably easily kind of become more hidden, once you have these powerful people saying how bad it is, even if people are doing it, they're not going to talk about it because they're saying like, oh, this guy says it's bad. And then as less and less people are talking about it, it just starts to happen less and less. And then the church takes over. Right. And the church. Well, and also, I mean, remember, they're also being convicted. 2,400. Now, only 2,400 of 15,000 men were convicted, but they're going to prison for it. So, I mean, the church just keeps upping its its um, its hate against homosexuality. And as it ups its hate and as the church continues to gain power, you know, and mixes with politics, now we're having more laws against homosexuality. Now more people are being convicted. And so, yeah, people are literally being dro driven into the closet. But even at... Even with 15,000 men being accused and 2,400 convicted, people are still engaging in this activity. So, again, goes back to point that it was not just a few people. These aren't just the deviants. Yep, and um, regardless of this, homosexuality was actually illegal in most places. Uh, the preacher Barnard, Bernardine, Bernardino denounced... <laughs> The, yes, the preacher Bernie, not Bernie Sanders, denounced these I don't know, he's old enough. That's true, actually. <laughs> you look at me like I'm being serious. Like, do you, do you think Bernie was Wait a in Florence, Italy? <laughs> and now he's, he's still lingered around because he wants to make up for all the shit he did? Maybe. So, Who knows? The preacher Bernardino denounced these atrocities and condemned the mothers 
who were proud that their sons caught the eyes of older men and deliberately sent them into the streets in the most alluring of clothes. Which, how alluring are the clothes in the 15th century, in the 1400s? They're like, show a little bit of ankle. <laughs> show, ruffles on the show, shirts. All the ruffles. Cut, cut your shirt a little bit down the middle and show a little bit of chest while you walk. I think it's just ruffles. I think it's just <laughs> his, his face peering out. You ever seen two pictures from the 1400s? It's like the massive collar, collars that go all around the face. Oh, so it's like when a peacock like tries to attract a mate, they just like make their ruffles exactly. really big? They just make really big ruffles and then they go out and they're like, hey boys! But they can't turn their head because they're stuck in the collar. <laughs> so we begin to see a break in the forming of cognitive dissonance here. As Florentines believe their Christian teachings that homosexuality is wrong, yet most men are actively participating in the very acts they claim to condemn. There was a case in 1480 of Adria, a 16-year-old boy who was sodomized by 42 men over the course of a year. Typically, a young man would have 11 different partners before becoming the active player and then eventually leaving that lifestyle once reaching marriage, usually in his 30s. It is estimated that a sixth of men entered into loving relationships with their boys that lasted several years. Yeah, so I mean, that, that again, this is Florence by this time. So Florence, Italy. So this isn't like uh, Greece, where it typically was just one young man would have an older lover, and then he would take on a young man. By now, you know, it's just everybody, every man for themselves. Although, as we see, at least a sixth of them did actually enter into full relationships. So... I guess as far as history-wise, that's about where we stop. Um, so we basically, we covered a lot of ground, but it's only specifically on male homosexuality in Western Europe between the, you know, 1080 and about 1400. And there's a lot more information after this point. That's why we stopped. Because you can kind of group all this together. After this, we start getting a lot more uh, information on specific characters. Um, some people come out, in a sense, or they live openly and um, there's a lot more documentation as well, just in general, about life in general um, after the 15th century. Yeah. So uh, if we tried to fit all of that information into a podcast, it would have just been way too much. Yeah. Um, so we just kind of wanted we just to brush... Took chunk. We just kind of... I'm sorry. I keep interrupting you. <laughs> you have a lot to say. No coffee for you next time. I always have a lot to say, so... <laughs> no, I know. Uh... We just kind of wanted to uh, discuss where things kind of started to take a turn for the worst for uh, queer people in history. This is about the time that everything kind of started to hit the fan. Yeah, exactly. And I do want to point out that um, there is still kind of, you can see misogyny even in this um, because the men who were penetrated, the younger boys in the relationships or the slaves or the foreigners um, that were always, you know, the passive partner they were always looked down upon they were always despised because the same way that women are despised were despised because it was like men dominate and everyone and whoever was on top was the person you know that should be looked to and revered and respected and i i, I just i just think that it points to that it, it points to like a weaker sex or a weaker idea that if you enjoy something sexually or if you take do something different sexually you are weaker than the person who's i don't know giving <laughs> Does that uh, make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, we cannot deny the, that the rise of Christianity 
Okay, that's not how I would say it. That's <laughs> well, then you that you cannot deny that. that the rise of Christianity also um, resulted in the rise of violence against homosexuals. For the Greeks and Roman standards of human behavior were based on fulfillment of social expectations rather than psychological or spiritual ideas. It is when the uh, church begins to dictate man's spiritual requirements that we see a huge shift in sexuality and sexually accepted activity. Do you get all that? I got it all. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. Yeah, so like before religion takes hold, and, it, and this is we're talking specifically about Western Europe, but you can see the same thing in the Middle East. You can see the same thing in Eastern Asia. You can see it as we as we go through and we cover a lot of other topics, which we're excited about in our our podcast. You see how it develops and unfolds every time religion, not to bash religion, but just to say every time religion unfolds. It doesn't get good for the homosexual. Never. <laughs> or or the queer person or the transgender person or anybody who doesn't want to fit in a box. Right. So in each um, episode, we'd like to recommend a resource from or about the queer community, whether it be a book, magazine, website, conference, movie, or whatever it may be. Our first book is an older memoir about a former drag queen and one of my favorite memoirs I've ever read. I'm Not Myself These Days by Josh Kilmer. Purcell. It is an excellent book. Very well written. It's incredibly interesting. It's just about one period of his life, but I cannot recommend that book enough. Like I said, it's been around for a little while. I'm not myself these days. If you like to read, check it out. I guess that's it. That's it. Thank you so much for tuning in to our first episode of Your Queer Story. We are so excited to have you, and we hope that you're going to tune in for our next one. We're going to be talking about conversion therapy, and the first uh, part will be about the early parts and beginning of conversion therapy, and then we'll launch into the effects that it has on today. It's going to be a two-parter, so we're excited about that. Um, if you have any questions, corrections, comments about this episode, or if you just want to get to know us a little better, you can find us on social media. You can follow us on both Facebook and Twitter at Your Queer Story. Um, and from there, you can find us on iTunes and everywhere else that we ever existed. <laughs> <laughs> so please comment. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to get your thoughts on the episode and, and any um, ideas for future episodes. We have a lot of them, but we are always looking for more ideas. And we'd love to get to know you a little better. So, again. What are you doing for Pride? Just going to the, the Blockbuster. Are you going to Blockbuster? The Block Party. The Blockbuster The Blockbuster. Block for so <laughs> We're going to the Blockbuster. We're going to get ourselves a couple of gay movies from the little curtain room that you had to go back in. Did you ever go to the one? I never went to the curtain room. <laughs> oh, I did. Family video <laughs> in Indiana had a curtain room. And no. I was always <laughs> edging back there. It's just like um, that Ben Affleck movie. Um. Who's Ben Affleck? No, I'm kidding. Shut the fuck up. Um, did what? The Jersey Girl or something. I've never seen Anyways, that. he stands there by the curtain. He like reaches in and grabs stuff. So I would always edge back by the curtain room. And, and everybody like, watched you. No, no, they didn't. I would just stand there like I'm looking at whatever's on the shelf. And then as soon as it was clear, I would duck in there. And I'd grab like three DVDs and I'd duck back out. And I don't know why, because the girl at the front had to check me out anyways. <laughs> everybody but, knew what you were doing the entire time. No, they didn't. No. And there's always like, was like Look at one this old guy that would just hang around in there. And he would. I don't think he ever bought anything or rented anything. He would just hang around and look at all the, the things. And he'd kind of look over at you. And of course, back then, you know, I was living as a woman and I was dressing very feminine, so it was very uncomfortable. 
Um, I don't recall you ever dressing feminine. I, I, I did. I had bangs. I had a halter top at one point. I'm looking at you. I'm looking at, All I remember is that ugly ass haircut that I hope you never have again. I will never have that haircut again. I promise. Uh. <laughs> Anyways, but we were talking right. about Pride. Yeah. So, so are you uh, going we're going to, to the block party. Are you going to... The middle day? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we'll go there. We're not going to be there the whole day, but, like, we'll, we're will we going to wander around. Are you okay. walking in the parade again? I'm not walking in it, but I'm going to be there. You said last year you weren't walking in the parade, and then you ended up walking in the I parade. I felt like the last two years, we've made plans to hang out at Pride, and then I spend all of Pride trying to fucking find you. I see you for three minutes, and then I lose you again, and I don't see you again. <laughs> Until, like, 11 p.m. Yeah, every Pride. You always end up... On a float. You know why? Because you get drunk and someone asked you to walk or you probably suggest that you walk. I just, I just scale the floats. <laughs> You're just like, that's okay, guys. You can use one more. Actually, it's your cover photo on Facebook, I think. It's not my cover photo on Facebook. <laughs> Did you make it my cover photo? I don't know. It's very possible. <laughs> I'm pretty no, it's you. not. It's my cover photo is love is love. Not every rainbow thing has to do with you, Paul. Where is my I'm pretty sure Facebook? Your cover, photo, your cover photo on something is the float. <laughs> I don't remember doing that. <laughs> Maybe it's your Twitter. It's not. It is. It's your Twitter. <laughs> no, I'm using this picture. No, it's not. It's a random. Right it's a random picture of your float. Why would I make that my cover photo? That doesn't make sense. <laughs> you know what? You know what? I would use that float from Paul's Pride a few years ago to represent myself. <laughs> That's my face. I told you. Oh, that is my cover photo. <laughs> it's a rainbow flag. I told you. Why, why wouldn't it be my cover photo? <laughs> you know what? Whatever. You're right. I know. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story. Like what you heard? Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory. And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. See you next week. Bye. Bye.